Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week. Coming up today, I'll see where Icelandic startup Play is planning to target next in the US, while Tom will take a look at the week's Boeing 777 news. Joe will tell us about the UK government's epic A321neo flight, and I'll take a look at another mammoth narrowbody flight. Finally, I'll see why Elon Musk offered a student $5,000. And there is an aviation angle to that, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So now you know what's in store. Let's get on with the show. (laughs) It's not just randomly um, Elon Musk offering somebody five grand. There there is an aviation angle to the story, I promise. Yeah, uh, I kind of assumed if you'd be talking about it, it would be. (laughs) Otherwise, um, should we try and sell some used cars on the next episode? (laughs) (laughs) You never know. You never know. Anyway, I wanted to start off today by... um, recapping the big news from Icelandic startup Play this week. Um, I had the pleasure of sitting down with the airline's CEO, Birger Johnson, um, to have a chat through their latest announcement. So, you know, all in all, 2022 is shaping up to be a pretty exciting year for this little airline. Um, You know, after sort of Mm. six months or so of flying in Europe, um, they've done incredibly well. They've carried more than 100,000 passengers in their first half a year. Um, And now they're ready to go to the States. So um, Mm. Baltimore is launching in April, Boston is launching in May, and this week they've announced their third US destination, and it is, of course, New York. But it's not JFK or Newark or LaGuardia, it's New York Stewart. <laughs> so you'd be forgiven if you haven't heard of this little airport. I, um, haven't, I, no. <laughs> I hadn't really, um, but it's it's actually sounding really promising. It's located in Orange County, about 60 miles from Manhattan. Um, and you know, Mr. Johnson's so excited about this destination. Um, and in fact, they're going to be the first international airline at Stewart since 2019. As okay. usual with Play, they're doing an unbelievable introductory rate. So if you're ready Let to book guess, right like away, one euro. Uh, not quite one oh. euro. Um, it's $109 for departing flights to Europe for any bookings made between the 1st and the 7th of February. Um, it's only valid to 11 of their European destinations, which I believe are Keflavik, London, Dublin, Paris, Berlin, Copenhagen, Brussels, Stuttgart. Trondheim and Gothenburg Um, but you know for slightly more money they are serving 22 European destinations this IATA summer season with a one-stop itinerary so um, Mm. you know lots of options and um, the way they put it in the press release was that you could get all the way to Paris from New York Stewart for less than a a season ticket on the New York subway so I think that's a pretty good comparison to make there Um, so what's good about Stewart especially if you're working from home I guess (laughs) yeah definitely so so Stewart is an interesting choice Um, you know for in terms of like people getting there and people going to New York and wanting to connect onwards. I was having a look. There's some really good low-cost connections. It's quite a low-cost hub. It's served by Allegiant, Frontier and JetBlue, um, mainly with flights down to Florida. Um, And in terms of sort of ground transportation, there are easy links to Manhattan in about an hour and a half. I believe it's on a shuttle bus. Um, There's been lots of talk of connecting to Manhattan with a railway, but it hasn't happened yet. Um, But as Mr. Johnson pointed out to me, what's important 
important to realise is that not everybody wants to go to central Manhattan. Um, and actually, this part of upstate New York has a lot of local attractions and reasons to love it just for itself. So you've got, you know, Hudson Valley, New Jersey, the Legoland New York Resort. Um, oh, I thought you'd enjoy, Tom. <laughs> yeah, no, I've um, really enjoyed playing with Lego since Christmas. So playing, building. Um, playing. Yeah, no, you're yeah. playing. You're definitely playing. Um, <laughs> there's Woodbury Commons. Um, and what actually has happened is since the start of COVID with people working from home, there's been a, a kind of a mass migration out to places like Hudson Valley and upstate New York from the city. Um, apparently, the real estate prices have shot up about 30 to 40 percent. Um, and Mr. Johnson believes that the destination is a destination in itself. Um, it's kind of a catchment area that's completely underserved for international travel. Um, you know, and it's a unique demographic that really plays into his hands in terms of the, the target market that he's looking at. You know, these are kind of disloyal flyers who aren't already in bed with one of the big airline alliances and are just keen for a, a nice cheap trip. And that's exactly what he's offering. So, um, you know, he said he'd even consider another New York airport because something, you know, like Newark, for instance, is a different market again. So um, I think, you know, for passengers in terms of coming from our side to their side, it's going to be great. Um, you know, you imagine how quick it's going to be to immigrate at Stewart. Um, he said, basically, you can see the car park from the plane. And they've just, I think they've just invested about $30 million in a new customs and border protection facility. So, um, you know, we'll be getting in really quickly. And, you know, you're in upstate New York, you can go north, you can go south. I think it's going to be great. Um, and I'm really pleased for them. I think it's a great choice of a third destination. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we didn't hear of a couple more before the end of the year. Mm. Well, fingers crossed and watch this space. Um, I wanted to talk about a little bit of an incident that uh, British Airways uh, 777 faced in Cape Town last week. So basically, um, one of its aircraft ended up with a slightly extended stay on the ground and um, it was for a really pretty expensive reason, is is what I'd say. So basically, um, this aircraft, um, the way that the flight to Cape Town works is that, uh, you know, the flight from London to Cape Town is meant to touch down at, at 8 o'clock. It landed at 7.30, but that's not super relevant to the story. Um, but what is relevant is that it typically sits on the ground in Cape Town for around 12 hours before heading back to Heathrow. And obviously... You don't want to sit a plane at a gate for 12 hours because it's, A, it's going to be more costly than just parking it at the side of the field. Um, but then you've also got the whole issue of um, not just the cost, but also if the plane is parked at that gate for so long, nothing else can use it. Um, so, you know, you could uh, occupy the gate for, say, 12 hours with a British Airways 777, or you could offload it. Um, park it, use it for five, six other flights, however many you can fit in, and then bring the 777 back. So that explains why it was being moved. Um, interestingly, when they were moving it away from the gate, it seems as though the um, the jet bridge <laughs> was still attached to the aircraft. Oh, and, God. <laughs> um, this is uh, un unconfirmed, but according to sort of reports from on the ground, um, and I would imagine that with the jet bridge still being attached, um, the door was open. But anyway, um, you know, these doors don't open on hinges. They kind of slide outwards and mm -hmm. um, they've got quite expensive and complicated mechanisms. But long story short, um, they pushed the airplane back with the jet bridge supposedly still attached and the airplane kept going, but the door stayed on the jet bridge. Oh, <laughs> um, no. So... 
you know, it's going to be quite an expensive fix, I would imagine. I don't know mm. how much a door costs. Um, it may already have been fixed by the time that you're listening to this podcast. Um, maybe they just have a door on the ground that they can pop in. Who knows? Um, what I found quite interesting, though, was that flight BA42 back to London was cancelled. Um, rather than popping all the passengers in a hotel, what BA did was they actually delayed BA flight 58. So that was scheduled to leave Cape Town at around 7 o'clock. Instead, they delayed it to around 9 o'clock, which is when the cancelled flight was meant to leave, and they managed to fit both <laughs> sets of passengers on, on one the one flight. So uh, mm. it shows you that maybe load factors aren't quite what British Airways would be hoping for right yeah. yet. But, um, <laughs> Definitely. But yeah, that wasn't the only 777 news of the week. I also briefly wanted to touch on Qatar Airways because, um, you know, it's by the time you're listening to this again, we're recording on Monday, you'll be listening on Thursday or Friday, um, maybe or even later. So it might be completely different by then. But um, throughout the course of the week, Qatar Airways is expected to place an order for uh, the first order even for the triple x freighter um and you know it's what i find really interesting about that story is that last summer airbus and boeing were basically head to head uh with the a350 freighter and the 777x freighter but obviously the whole drama has come out of that and uh, airbus and um qatar airways are definitely not friends anymore and not i think not friends at all I, I i kind of wonder at this point in time whether even if qatar airways was willing to place the order with them airbus would accept it you know mm. um so anyway the the 777x freighter is basically a shoe in for uh, replacing their older freighters. And um, I believe t um, today as we're recording this, or maybe tomorrow, um, the Emir of Qatar is meant to be visiting uh, Washington. And, you know, it's may be unlinked, but, um, you know, there's photos from when um, Airbus has previously signed uh, deals with uh, Qatar Airways where the Emir is standing behind Al Baker signing it. So, mm. um, you know, it, it's kind of like pointing towards an order being placed and it will be for up to 50 aircraft according to sources so wow. uh, i mean watch this space and you know this might even be out of date by the time <laughs> it you might be to old this. news so by thursday double check yeah. simpleflying.com <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely well i wanted to talk about a rather smaller plane um an mm, a321 the little plane that could. lr <laughs> which is uh, you know LR typically the sort of yeah you'd typically be finding jetting about i don't know to some short haul holiday resorts between the UK and Spain or something. and uh, mm. But the UK government's got one of these. Um, it's actually operated by Titan Airways. Um, but it's very cute. If you haven't seen it yet, and you've seen, no doubt, the Boris Force One um, mm. RAF A330 Voyager, which is all done up with gold letters saying the United Kingdom down the side and a big mm. Union Jack on the tail. Well, the A321LR is painted exactly the same. So it's like the Voyager had a little baby. Um, yeah, I it, saw it when I was leaving Stansted last time. I tried to get a picture of it, but according to you, it's a very bad picture. Yeah, I didn't use it in my coverage of the story because, uh, no, it just wasn't up to our usual standards, Mr. Boone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, the idea is that the A3 30 is used for long haul trips and the A321 is for shorter trips. But right, for some on. reason, the UK's, <laughs> the UK's Foreign Secretary, Liz Truss, um, decided to take the A321 on a bit of a longer trip, um, all the way to Australia, in fact. <laughs> and um, I'm guessing it didn't make it in one long hop like uh, Merkel one or the A350 that the Germans it, have did. 
It did not. I mean, the A330 might have done, I suppose, um, if it was fueled right up and didn't have too many people on board. But mm. the A321 had to make several stops. So she actually left London on January the 18th um, from Stansted, which is our kind of um, governmental airport, if you like. Our favourite uh, airport, London's best airport. <laughs> Tom's favourite airport. What you um, were saying about quick immigration at Stuart, but sorry, I'm going off on a tangent that's here. Okay. But it always, I never takes me longer than 10 minutes to get from the plane to uh, the waiting for a car at That's exactly why I like London City and Exeter Airport as well. Shout out mm. to my local airport because uh, <laughs> you literally walk off the plane and you're straight through the airport mm. and out and it's great and your car's right outside. So mm. I love a little airport, me. Um, mm. Anyway, and so she... isn't even little. <laughs> no, it's not. So she left Stansted, um, heading south southeast. Yes, southeast, which is a good job because that's where Australia is. Um, <laughs> it's also so west. <laughs> the first stop she made was in um, Dubai, Dubai World City, where she stayed for around an hour. So mm. they didn't get off the plane, I'm assuming. They just topped up the fuel. Then they headed to Malaysia. They landed at Kuala Lumpur at 10.42 the following day. Um, they were only on the ground again for a couple of hours there. And then she took off for the almost eight-hour trek down south to Sydney. Um, and she touched down at Sydney in Sydney at just past seven o'clock in the morning um, mm. the next day. So it was like... It, because of the time zones, it's kind of weird, you know, but she was on the plane almost 24 hours just to get wow. there with all the stops that were taken in. And you've got to um, imagine how many pilots must have been on the plane if it wasn't stopping really en route other than to be fuelled. Yeah, it wasn't for crew one hour rest. isn't enough that, crew no, rest. No, they must have had lots of different pilots mm. on board. Um, and she took it across Australia as well. She went from, spent a little bit of time in Sydney and then went to Adelaide, spent the whole day in Adelaide. I'm presuming there was a big meeting there. Um, and then took the same route coming back. Um, so she, she eventually landed back at London Stansted at just after midday on January the 23rd. So it was like a, a five-day trip for a one-day meeting, <laughs> which mm. seems a bit bizarre. But... Uh, but, you know, she defended her use of the jet. And uh, I guess, you know, in terms of the environment, it is slightly better to take the narrow body than the wide body. Um, but she still came under fire. You know, lots of people thought she should have just gone on Qantas or something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, having explained it, there's all sorts of issues with getting plane tickets for commercial flights to Australia at the moment. You know, everything mm. was booked up. They were very expensive. And the problem was she was going to have to be split up from her team and her security detail. And oh, um, no. basically it wouldn't have been a productive use of her time. So, mm. um, but they've estimated it costs like half a million quid for her to oh, take wow. this trip. That's about $671,000. Um, and lots of critics are calling it a grotesque misuse of public money. Mm. Um, but apparently she was able to work all the way there and back, which I suppose is a small benefit mm. um but uh, anyway i'm sure some spotters in uh, in australia got a really unusual sight when they saw this little a321lr with the union jack on its tail landing um so yeah uh, that's liz's liz truss's week in a nutshell mm. and uh, a ridiculous flight in a very small plane well, i wanted to talk about another sort of possibly not ridiculous but um incredibly long flight in a little plane so basically um you were talking about the Airbus A321neo. Well, what's mm -hmm. the competitor to that? The triple, uh, the 737 Max. Mm -hmm. um, so rather than going from east to west, um, or west to east even, um, Sunwings with the 777 Max, uh, 737 Max, <laughs> um, <laughs> they went from north to south. So basically, uh, one of their aircraft started in Oslo on Tuesday, 
last week and it flew to Prague, which in itself isn't really out of the ordinary, is it? No. However, after stopping for fuel at Prague, it then carried on um, further. So it then stopped in Oslo and, oh, sorry, it started in Oslo, stopped in Prague, then uh, it stopped in Chad and then Cape Town in South Africa. And then finally, um, its final destination was the Troll Research Station in Antarctica. Um, So this was like a really exciting flight for two reasons. One, it was the first time that the uh, 737 MAX had flown to uh, Antarctica, which meant it was also... Um, the flight that meant that the type had landed on all seven continents. Wow. And it was also the flight that meant the airline had landed on all seven continents. Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) So quite an exciting one there. But it turns out that there's been months of preparation for this flight. We're not entirely sure the reason for it, although it was probably just to transfer some researchers to or from um, the continent. As We've seen lots of commercially airplanes there before, like Icelandair's 767 um, and even Highfly's A340 earlier this year. Last year, even. Sorry. We're in 2022 now. Um, so anyway, because because landing on glaciers requires special training, the airline picked three of its best pilots for the mission. Uh, I'm not going to say the um, names because I'm not going to do it justice. And that would, <laughs> uh, but it, was, it wasn't just special training for the landing they needed. Um, the pilots and cabin crew also had to undergo Arctic survival training for the mission. They had to carry polar survival kits and they even took spare parts for the 737. Obviously, you can't take full, uh, full 737 worth for spare parts, but um, they took all the major parts just in case something would go wrong because it's not the easiest place to ship, say, a spare wheel, is it? No, Um, exactly. (laughs) But anyway, um, they did have some additional challenges um, that, say, the uh, A340 wouldn't have had when they were planning the flight. So um, Troll Research Station is obviously fully equipped to receive such aircraft. Uh, It's got fire services, fuel, and even more. Um, But it's the only airport in the vicinity. So usually if you were planning a flight, you plan at least one alternate landing point just in case it wasn't possible to land at your intended destination. Um, Well, the remoteness of Troll Station means that there are no diversion points. And I guess if you were flying an A340 and you got there, the weather wasn't great, you'd be able to turn around. But Mm. uh, according to Flight Radar 24, it's 4,332 kilometers from Cape Town as the crow flies to Troll Station. And Boeing quotes the 737 MAX's maximum range at 6,570 kilometers. So Mm. there would have been a point of no return on the way from... Um, Cape Town to Antarctica and um, I was reading that the crew were regularly in contact with people at both ends on satellite phones and similar constantly checking Um, so obviously before they reached the point of no return if something did come up they could turn around but um, there would have been a point where you know they've got to land at Troll whether they like it or not thankfully everything went without a hitch Um, the aircraft in the end departed Oslo at 4.49 on Tuesday and landed back at 6.35 on um, Thursday. So it was only about 48 hours worth of flights. Mm. Um, again, it must have had lots of pilots just to um, manage those constant um, turnarounds with just fueling rather than crew rest. But, mm. um, you know, I just thought it was quite cool to see pictures of a 737 MAX just sitting on snow. Yeah, <laughs> what a great experience for them. Mm. I'd love to know the reasons behind it, whether it was just a, a feather in their cap sort of thing or if it was actually doing something important. But I'm uh, sure it would have been doing something important because um, I think in general the airlines are very aware that you know, ice, uh, Antarctica isn't a place that you fly without um, 
a, good a reason. reason, especially, <laughs> you know, they had to get special permission from the Czech Civil Aviation Authority because of the no diversion status of troll. And I right. don't think that they would have got that permission just for a joy flight, you know. No, no, quite right. Perhaps they were transporting equipment, but uh, mm. we'll see if we can find out. We'll let everybody know. Mm. So I wanted to finish off today talking about Elon Musk. <laughs> and this, this, this is an aviation story, I promise. Mm. This is the second <laughs> so, uh, time you've promised us now, so it better plan yes, out. <laughs> it better be. Um, so, yeah, as we know, Elon Musk was recently promoted to the world's richest man. He's worth an estimated $276 billion. Well, um, priceless. Yeah, and like most of the super rich, he doesn't tend to fly commercial. Um, he actually has a Gulfstream G650ER private jet. Uh, mm. Registration number is N628TS. And he's had it since 2016. It's been his runabout for about five years. Um, now, like most private jet owners, Musk blocks his Gulfstream from all the popular flight tracking websites. So mm. if you pop in that registration number, you will find it just says this aircraft is not tracked or this aircraft is blocked. Um, but, you know, it's very difficult these days to actually block an aircraft entirely yeah. um, because of a technology called ADS-B. Um, so if you enjoy watching planes or checking them out on flight radar, it will be because of this ADS-B technology that basically pinpoints planes anywhere in the world. Um, and it's not something that can be hidden, um, mm. although it's difficult to kind of track it down in terms of which planes which. So this apparently has become a bit of a problem for Mr. Musk because there's a, a big fan of his and of space and of aviation called Jack Sweeney who's written a programme that notifies everybody about Elon's jet. He set hmm. up a Twitter account um, where the bots actually publish every time the aircraft takes off, where it's going, the altitude, etc. Um and the, the account, if you want to check it out, is called at Elon Jet. Um, so understandably, Elon is not entirely comfortable with the whole world knowing his movements. And mm. recently, he reportedly offered the 19-year-old student thousands of dollars to take the site down. Um, so apparently, Jack Sweeney received a rather unexpected direct message on Twitter last autumn. It was none other than Elon Musk himself. I mean, imagine waking up and seeing that in your inbox. And he just yeah. simply said to the freshman, take this down. It is a security risk. Now, it was after midnight his time. Um, the kid was obviously being a good boy and he was in bed nice and early because he didn't mm -hmm. reply for another seven hours. Um, but when he did, he obviously wasn't flapped by the fact he was having a conversation with the world's richest man because he responded simply, yeah, I can, but it'll cost you a Tesla Model 3. Only joking, unless... <laughs> hmm. Anyway, they then got into a bit of a back and forth um, where Elon was asking kind of how he'd done it and he was rather surprised at the lack of security around aviation. Um, anyway, he asked Jack how much he made out of these Twitter bots and to which Jack said no more than about $20 a month. Musk then reportedly offered him $5,000 to close down the account, saying, I don't love the idea of being shot by a nutcase. But, you know, Jack Sweeney, even with that offer on the table, he, he stood his ground, bless him. Uh, he said, told Musk to stick another zero on the number, noting that 50 grand would be great support in college and would even possibly allow me to get a car, maybe a Model 3. But so far, Elon's not paid any money to the student and the account remains active. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit of an interesting one because I kind of see both sides of the argument. But at the end of the day, you know, there's, it's not, this guy isn't like looking at a highly classified stuff, you know, if he doesn't it's do it. It's freely available to everybody. Yeah. It's just he's sure developed he a very... It down, if he takes it down, it's just going to be like 
somebody's going to copy it, you know. Maybe it'll yeah. take a while, but um, that's only going to prompt more. In- I think the whole story is prompting more interest in um, in the whole thing because I wouldn't have looked at it before, but now, you know, I'm going to start tracking the, the jet. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Well, this was something I found quite funny was, you know, he this kid doesn't just track Elon's jet. He tracks all the millionaires' jets. Like, hmm. he's got Twitter bot accounts set up for Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates. I think he's got, like, 15 different flight tracking accounts in all that keep track of various rich and famous people and their, their movements in their private planes. But hmm. it's just simply the popularity of the Elon Musk one is what upsets the guy I think um so when he made that offer I th- there was about 80,000 followers now mm. Jack Sweeney's gone public with this and it's been in the papers the last few days last time I checked the account had 130,000 followers so and it's still going I'm up I'm just looking at it right now and it's got 22 uh that's gone up since I looked at it like two days ago. Yeah. So <laughs> what's actually happened is they've just made the whole problem a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently, um, just to finish off the story, Jack Sweeney has um, subsequently messaged Mr. Musk again and basically said that rather than having any sort of cash settlement, he'd really like a um, like an internship with his company. Mm. Um, but apparently Elon hasn't opened the message yet, but Sweeney thinks he knows why, um, because he says he's actually on vacation in Hawaii if you check out Elon Jet. <laughs> I found that quite funny. <laughs> mm. Well, it looks like it's just flown back, actually. <laughs> oh, amazing. <laughs> there we go. Elon's back in the USA. You heard it here first, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So I think that's about all we've got time for today. Um, We hope you enjoyed our podcast and welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.